You know, we're in this series, and this series I've called Crosswords, and if you look at this, this is kind of designed, you, some of you are going, yeah, there's not the black spaces, or, you know what, it's, it's, the whole idea is for us to think about these the- theological words that really have a practical application for everyday life, Okay. And, and, and so often when you hear some of these words, they may not make sense. But the theme under all these words as we look at the cross is that someone pays a price, someone suffers, someone is in, has to make an investment, someone um, takes a hit for me. Words like covenant, which we talked about the first week, is the idea that someone keeps a promise even when it hurts. Words like redemption, as last week, someone pays a price. There's a cost in order to be set free. Reconciliation, we're talking about this week. Someone forgives in order to restore a broken relationship. So the scene that you see on Palm Sunday is this scene of, of Jesus who is, he's just in the um, outer suburbs of Jerusalem, kind of on the, uh, the east side, and he's a few miles out there with some good friends named Lazarus, Martha, and Mary. And just a number of weeks before that, and just before that, Jesus has raised Lazarus from the dead. He's staying with his good friends. He's uh, talking to his disciples, and, and he's saying, as you go in to a certain village, which is really kind of more of an inner ring than of Jerusalem, he says, in that village you'll find a donkey tied with a colt. And some of you know that the reason you take the mare with the foal is because you can't take one away from the other when they're young or they go crazy, right? That, that foal follows the mare everywhere. And so he goes in and he says, go there. And if someone asks you why you're untying it, just tell them that Jesus sent you. The Lord needs it. And so we come to this passage of scripture and it's found in John chapter 12, verses 12 through 16. And John bypasses all that kind of backstory in order just to get to the event. I'm going to ask you to stand and just listen to the word of God in this story from John chapter 12, verses 12 through 16. The next day, news that Jesus was on, his way to, was on the way to Jerusalem and it swept through the city and a large and a huge crowd of Passover visitors took palm branches and went down the road to meet him shouting, the Savior, God bless the King of Israel, hail to God's ambassador. And Jesus rode along on a young donkey, fulfilling the prophecy that said, Don't be afraid of your king, people of Israel, for he will come to you, catch this, meekly, sitting on a donkey's colt. And you know how this happens from time to time? You don't understand things when you're going through it, but then afterwards you kind of go, Wow, how this all starts to make sense. John adds in a little parenthetical statement, his disciples didn't realize at the time that this was the fulfillment of prophecy. But after Jesus returned to his glory in heaven, then they noticed how many prophecies of Scripture had come true before their eyes. Let's pray. Father, I'm going to ask that you would give me your Holy Spirit and that you would speak to us right where we're at and maybe... You might, for some who are here and maybe for the first time or have been coming for a bit, they might look back and say, God, I am so grateful. I didn't realize it at the time, but you were doing a work in my life that, that now I see and I'm so grateful for. I'm praying, God, that you will speak to some hearts, wherever they're at, whatever it's going on in their life. 
that we would be people that live in the fullness of relationship today, both with you and with other people, as much as it's possible within our own ability. Speak, Spirit of God, I pray in your name. Amen. Thanks. You may be seated. I need to share with you something about Jesus. Jesus was a bit dramatic, okay? Let that just sink in for a minute. Jesus was a bit dramatic. And I I say that because you have to understand that Jesus was this incredibly intentional, purposeful person who was was just strong and, and courageous beyond belief. He did things that you and I wouldn't do. I mean, seriously, and we talk about meek and mild Jesus, gentle, coming, all this, and, and we read this in Scripture, and we get a picture of him, but this very act of coming in meekly was one of the most boldest statements that was made in his life. And it really was a bit dramatic, because um, he rode into town on a cult, on this cult, this, this young donkey, here's the, the mayor, the mother before, and he's riding in on this young cult, and, and what you find here is, is the city is filled with Passover villages, vill- people who are visiting from all around the world. And, and you also have to understand that Jesus knew that the news of Lazarus being raised from the dead, okay, catch this, this news of Lazarus being raised from the dead was going viral. I mean, seriously, um, it had actually hit a couple million on both Twitter and Instagram. And, and we, there was pictures that, that were um, dug up that it, they found in this archaeological dig. Yeah, just kidding. Um, but it's this picture of Lazarus, and, 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 and that's what was going on. And so riding on a cult into town with all this excitement and hype was intentional. Jesus was making a dramatic statement. And, and the purpose of good drama, think about it for a second, the purpose of good drama is not to actually answer the question. It is actually to, it, it's, it's to, it's to give you the kind of stirring inside to say, what in the world is going on here? Art does that, doesn't it? It disturbs you a little bit so that now it forces you to ask a question about what is this person trying to stay, say, in, in whatever they painted or whatever they put together. In fact, Jesus was this incredible artist. He was a storyteller extraordinaire. And he would use these stories called parables. And parables weren't just kind of little stories where he, you know, it's not like sometimes preachers do. They give you all the answers. He would tell stories and, and they would walk away. And, and it was done as an artist to get you to begin to think about what was he trying to get at here. Now, now I want you to get that in mind because what happens on Palm Sunday is incredible art. It's dramatic. It is a parable acted out. Jesus was intentional in what he was doing. He was doing something that they were kind of waiting for. The triumphal entry is just what it's supposed to mean. It was triumphal because they were waiting for the Messiah. They were waiting for the next king over Israel who would overcome all their enemies and eventually conquer the world. They were waiting for someone just like David. And in that day, It was very clear that when a king was coming into his town or was coming into another town, and if he was riding on a white stallion, it was a statement that the king has arrived and he's come to conquer. He has come to overcome all the enemies. Jesus does something interesting. He rides in on a little colt 
And the people are looking at it, and he acts out this parable so that there's a little bit of a twist to it. Where's the white stallion? See, white stallions were, were known. And let me, don't just take my word for it. Listen to Revelation here. This is what it says. When, when Jesus returns again, this is what the ancient world would understand. Then I saw heaven opened and a white horse standing there. And the one sitting on the horse was named Faithful and True. Anybody want to guess who that would be? It's Jesus, according to Revelation. The writer of Revelation, John, is the same one that we're reading this passage of Scripture from today, from John chapter 12. And he says, I saw the one faithful and true, and the one who justly punishes and makes war. And the armies of heaven, dressed in the finest linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Jesus, the king, is followed by his posse. That's kind of the picture you get. All these guys in white, the good guys, coming to this earth to make war with evil, to put it to the end. So get this picture in mind. Don't ever think of this Palm Sunday story as some kind of story that was just kind of, oh, that was kind of a cute thing that Jesus did. Jesus, incredibly bold in his presentation, courageous, comes into town riding on a donkey. And when they ride on that colt, when a king came in that way, it was not a sign of war, but it was a statement of peace. I want reconciliation. It's what the word is that we're talking about. And here's what people would think if they searched hard enough. Here's what you might even be asking when they see Jesus ride in like that. The question that comes forward in people's hearts is, do I want peace with God? Do I need peace with God in some area of my life? And you might think, like some of them did, hmm, I didn't know there was a problem. Or, you know, with what I've done... Where I'm at, maybe I'll have peace someday. Maybe I'll never get peace with God. Some of you might be saying, you know, I've tried really hard, and, and I try real hard, and then I try real hard, and I give up, and then once in a while after it kind of goes away, and all of a sudden I get this feeling to kind of try again, and I just am trying really hard to get peace with God. And Jesus is making an incredible statement that raises a question. Do you want peace with God? Today's crossword is reconciliation, a significant word in the Bible, not so much because how often the actual word is used, but in the New Testament, you'll find um, it's used very few times, but you'll find throughout the whole Bible, the concept of reconciliation begins from the first pages of Genesis all the way to the end of Revelation, the last, last few pages. And the word reconciliation is used only a handful of times and mostly by the Apostle Paul. So I'm just going to give you a couple of the uses that Jesus used in the New Testament, okay? The first use is, is by Jesus. gives you a flavor of the word, Matthew 5, 23 through 24. He's, he's speaking on the Sermon on the Mount. He's, he's, he's giving this message, and at a certain point, he says, Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, there's a fence, there's something that's gone on, he says, forget about giving a gift to God. Leave your gift there in front of the altar first. Your first priority is to go and be reconciled to that person. And then go back and give your gift. That's how important reconciliation is, being at peace and one with another person. 
Jesus uses this word a little bit later in another story that he tells in Luke chapter 12. And, and in these verses, verses 57 and 58, he's talking about, he says, why don't you judge for yourself what is right? Which is really an interesting thing. He says, you guys keep blaming one another. You're always having, this is immaturity. You're always having someone else to have to settle everything. Part of living in the kingdom of God is beginning to take responsibility for who you really are and for what's happening in your life. And he's basically saying, would you guys just kind of settle some of these things yourself? And so he makes this interesting statement. As you are going with your adversary, okay, someone that you're having difficulty with, to the magistrate, what was a magistrate? It was the court of law, you know, maybe a small claims court or maybe it was something more than that, but it's going to the judge. Try hard to be reconciled on your way. Isn't that interesting? As you're going, start taking responsibility for your own stuff. And maybe you'll find you'll get to a better place. Because your adversary may actually drag you off to the judge. And the judge turn you over to the officer. And the officer turn you over to the prison. Don't let this stuff live in your life. The third occurrence is in the, this word is in the New Testament found in the book of Acts. This letter in Acts, which Luke himself wrote, but he's quoting here Stephen, and Stephen is standing in front of the Sanhedrin, so he's in front of the Supreme Court of Israel, and he's making these statements, and, and Stephen basically says, as he tells the history, he says, the next day Moses, when he's in Egypt, came upon two Israelites who were fighting, and catch this, he tried to reconcile them by saying, men, you are brothers, why do you want to hurt each other? Now, we're going to go through a few of these other uses. It's used about 12 other times by Paul in the New Testament. That's it. In Romans, four times. In 1 Corinthians, it's used once. In 2 Corinthians, five times. So he's talking about some passages here where he uses this whole concept of reconciliation in Romans and 2 Corinthians. Ephesians once and Colossians twice. That's it. It's a big word, though. You hear it a lot, right? Simply put, reconciliation is about ending a quarrel by removing the obstacle or obstacles so that the relationship that has been broken can be restored. Let's just put it this way to help you give a little understanding to it. Let's, let's just say last night you, I had a friend, and, and this friend who goes to the church invites me over to dinner, and I have dinner, and I meet for the first time one of his friends. His name is Joe, maybe a neighbor, somebody he's just trying to introduce me to, someone to get to know. And, and, and Joe and I had this great time. We hit it off. It's a wonderful time. And this morning I come to church and I find out this other person is talking to someone else and, hey, yeah, last night our pastor, Pastor Kevin, came over and he met Joe. It was so fun to have them together. In fact, uh, it, was, it was really cool because not only did they hit it off, but Pastor Kevin and my neighbor were reconciled last night. It just makes no sense. Because that's not how you use the word reconcile, to reconcile or to be reconciled. The word is impossible to use in that, in that context. See, if we had known each other prior to that and we had somehow offended each other and we had somehow broken relationship and we had somehow had something against one another or keeping a barrier between us, then you could use that word. But last night, we just got to know each other. And see, the idea of reconcile, the word the reason you put the R-E before it, because to be conciliate means to be kind of in relationship. To reconcile means that you are now once again back in relationship. And so when you come to the word of God, you'll find that this idea of reconciliation is very important. It means that a quarrel had taken place. There had been brokenness between that relationship and something has been done to restore it. So I just want to share with you this morning some of the concepts, the ideas around what it means to be reconciled. What God's word has to say about this concept of being in relationship again and what we should do about it. 
And the very first thing is, is simple, and, and because I'm a pretty simple person, I hope this is rather simple. But the first thing about reconciliation is that you just, it's something is broken. That's the concept. Something is broken. You read this as we read the story of Jesus coming into um, Israel. That something is wrong, is Jesus what he's saying. Our relationship is broken. There is an offer by his meekness rather than coming in a sense of with guns blazing and I'm going to, you know, to all you people who have broken relationship with me, all you who have done things and are out of sorts with me, I'm coming and I'm, I'm, I'm going to give it to you. It's over with. He doesn't come that way. He actually comes and he brings and he says there's an offer to be in relationship again. In fact, there's an offer to find peace with God. That's what he does. He initiates the discussion. I think it's really interesting when you read this passage of Scripture. It, it tells you something about the way that you, you reconcile with other people. If you're offended and you're really upset about something, to come to someone with the whole idea to overwhelm them and to kind of put them in their place is never going to work. When you look at this passage of Scripture, God is incredibly clear here. He is this kind of person to us, to, to you and to me. He goes, you know what? I'm not going to let us go on in a relationship where things are phony and fake. Isn't that incredible? The whole picture of Jesus coming in into a, to a nation of people, some who knew they were out of sorts with God. There were those who were prostitutes and, and, and drunkards, and, and that's what the Word of God says, and sinners who knew they had really messed up. They understood it. So for them, when Jesus came in, they're going, I want that. But then there were some when he came in, they're going, hmm, I didn't think anything's broken. I, you know, I've been going to church. I've been doing this. I've been doing that. And, and they're living in a way that they are righteous by themselves and they don't even realize that there's a brokenness in relationship and God comes in even to that relationship which is really interesting to all people in a very gracious in a very kind way and he invites you into a discussion isn't that amazing he comes in and forces you to begin to question he loves us so much that he goes down to the heart so that it begins at that place and we're not being forced or overwhelmed. But we begin to start to say, May, maybe, maybe something isn't right here. And it all begins with an acknowledgement that things aren't right. Reconciliation is this fact that begins with there's something wrong, something's broken. You know what's interesting is um, we get this idea that, um, I was going to say, you know, I was going to use the illustration of, you know, how you can live in fakey, phony relationships. Let's not do that because that's usually too hard to see. You know, can you, you, met, you know some people who are living in relationship and you just know they're just kind of living together or they're just kind of um, in a fakey kind of thing. You know, you see it at people. You know, people come to church and, and it's just high, but you know there's something there that's never really been dealt with. Anybody, have any, anybody aware of any of those kind of relationships at work? Anybody, you know, it's kind of like, yeah, they're just kind of, they never... Here's what's so amazing. God never does that with any of us. God wants to be in an authentic and real relationship on an everyday basis. Here's what's really amazing. God wants us to live that way with one another. I just think about it for a second. Are there some situations, some relationships where Right even now, God might be saying, you know what, that, that something's broken and it would be a wonderful thing for you to just even sit down and just say, I just want to entertain the idea. Now, you can't make it, repair it yourself. 
It's a two-way thing. But are there some relationships where you just know it's, you, you need to do some work of reconciliation? And part of work of reconciliation is the first thing something's wrong. And being willing to talk about that. The second part is that there's a barrier. Okay, something's wrong and then there's a barrier. God not only will choose not to live a lie with us and doesn't want us to live that way with other people, he's not going to act like things are good when they're really not good, but God is also very truthful and will get right to what the real issue is. Isn't that amazing? He's not going to kind of go around it. And one of the things that's really cool about God is he's, you, if you're going to have a reconciled relationship, you have to be clear about what the barrier is. And, and God is not a God who just says in a general way there's things that aren't great or right. But God is a God who actually often gets to the issue. And in, in his word, he says one of the issues that's very clear is sin. And we kind of think of sin as kind of acts of sin, like you get caught in the cookie jar. He says, no, those are just symptoms. Here's what I love about Jesus. Jesus is not about the symptoms. He's always wanting to get underneath that to what's going on in the heart. He's all about people getting to that place where they recognize there's a barrier, and not just in a general way, but in a very specific way, he moves to that. And in, in the Word of God, what he says is it's a heart disease. It's not just some actions, but actions, because the Word of God often has to use actions, help understand the heart. And, and, and if we don't come to this understanding that there is a barrier in place, it doesn't, none of these words of Paul make sense. Listen to Colossians chapter 1, verse 19 through 23. It says, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in Christ. Well, that's a very important word, because what he's saying is in Jesus, the, all the possibility and fullness of relationship with God was present for people he was with. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. So this act of Jesus is incredibly reconciling, not just in people, but in all creation. Once, he says, you were alienated from God, you were enemies. Here's the brokenness of the relationship. There's some barrier here that's taking place in your minds because of your evil behavior. It's a very interesting thing he's saying. He's saying your behavior reveals what's going on in your mind, which is really a hard issue. Now I was talking about, when I, when I talk about people who are in counseling or people who are working with people in negotiation and trying to work through things, one of the things you realize, you can, it's really helpful to get to some specific things, here are some specific things, but what you need to often do, and I'm going to encourage you, even in your own relationship with God and relationship with other people, you need to move to a place that gets underneath that because a lot of times the things we do that might hurt one another, might offend one another, we don't even understand underneath it what's really creating those symptoms. Does that make sense? And God is a great God because he says, let's just get to the heart. But now he is reconciled, he says, by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. Because if, catch this, if you continue in your faith, that's what he's talking about. If you will be in relationship, you know, we talked about the, the covenant, the promise, one of the reasons God stays with us. It's because when, when you stay in relationship with another person, that's right here in a marriage, it's in a marriage, this is incredibly important to understand. When you stay in a relationship and you say, I will give my best for your best, and I will seek to live that way, if you seek to live that way, and then you continually say, if there's something broken, let's get to what the barrier is, and if you stay, it says, firm in your faith, in that commitment to one another, God has the possibility, if you're willing to, and you're praying about it, he can begin to help you understand what is creating the barriers. And not only that, if you love him and follow after him, he actually says he helps remove those things so that you can move into a fullness of relationship.
And so Paul wants to make this clear. There's a barrier. And the barrier, the, the, second, the third thing is this. The barrier must be removed. The barrier must be removed. Another way um, to say this is a barrier remains a barrier until it's taken away. We can't wish it away. We can't act if it's not there. Uh, something must be done to remove the barrier. Now, if you're like me, my desire is always to try and get the barrier removed from the other person, right? Because usually they're the one who has the problem. But what I find is interesting about God is God even says, I'm going to remove whatever could be a barrier between me and you. For every relationship that is broken, there is something on your part that you can do. Even if you are the purest and most righteous person in the world. Jesus, the most pure and righteous person in the world, realized there was something that he could do that could remove a barrier between us and him. And I'm hoping you're thinking about what could that barrier be? It's the offense, the hurt, the anger, the bitterness, the different things that collect that you carry that put a wedge between you and the other person. And God, in his incredible love, listen to this, God, in incredible love, said, guess what? I so want to be in relationship with you. I want the fullness of who I am, and I want the best for you. I want all that to be such a way that it begins to move. And the only way that can happen is I have to forgive so that you have the ability to be at peace, knowing that I love you, I, I, I have grace for you, and all those things. And here's, just catch this for a second, because people go, if I forgive, they're going to walk all over me. Here's, here's something. Intimacy is always a product of what I call as appropriate trust. Okay? Even right now, if things are right between you and God, your intimacy will be dependent on how much trust is built in relationship. He gives you all the trust in the world, but your own actions of getting right and understanding things in your heart allow you to experience more and more of God. The same thing is true in your relationship with any person. You may be in a situation with a person and they may have hurt you and offended you and, and you have, and here's what he says, the barrier must be removed, you have a part to play. You know what the part is? That you need to forgive. You need to take this barrier that is in your heart of offense and say, I give it to you, God, I'm going to get rid of this. I'm not going to hold this against this person any longer. You now make the potential for relationship open and you keep that potential of relationship open because you continually give that over to God. But one thing that does need to occur is in a relationship that's going to work, it needs needs to have an understanding there needs to be an ownership there needs to be all these other things so if the if it's true something's wrong the, there's a barrier the barrier must be taken away and you have a part in helping take away that barrier that is there there is also a part on the other part uh, person um, this is the fourth point reconciliation must be received okay that's critical you may offer um, to, to, to go ahead and, and to, to remove that. And, and there's, I should always say, I just forgot to mention, when there is forgiveness, there's always a cost you're going to pay, folks. I was thinking about this the other day. The, the reason you take out insurance for your car, anybody know why? Because you're, you're basically buying forward the cost and pain that you might experience, potentially might experience, right? You're, you're paying for some protection so that someday when you do get hit and the person who hits you has no ability to pay it, you have something that has going to pay for it, right? But here's what's so amazing. You can go ahead and actually get some financial remuneration because of all the money you've really saved that person's never paid for. It still costs you. 
It costs you the time to get an estimation. It costs you the time to get a repair. It costs you um, as well of the fact that this vehicle that maybe had no dents, nothing in it now does, and you're going to be selling it that way. There is always a cost. And forgiveness is coming to recognition, as God did, that I'm going to take your hit. That's what Jesus did. That's what the physical death on the cross is. I'm taking the hit. I'm absorbing what you could never pay for yourself. Now the question is, are you going to receive it? Are you going to take it in? And I like what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He says, we're there for Christ's ambassadors, and so God, we're making his appeal through us. So he's just saying, what, what we are, who came to you, we're ambassadors of reconciliation. Everywhere we go, we're trying to get people to quit living phony relationships, to admit there's something wrong, and to begin this process of what's the barrier, and then to let God take that barrier away, and you went through forgiveness, and we're doing all this. But listen to what he says here. He goes on and he says, and we implore you on Christ's behalf because of what he's done. Be reconciled to God. You need to receive it. So what does receive it mean? It means that you own up. You begin to understand. You begin to start saying, guess what? What is my part? How did I hurt you? What was the pain that's caused? And I got to tell you, what's really cool is when a person gives you forgiveness and then you, by your will, choose to step into it. And, and it requires a whole bunch of things. It, it requires for you to begin to build trust. It, it requires for your character and your actions to begin to become consistent so that trust can be developed. It requires for you often to forgive yourself. It can be one of the hardest things to do. And I ask you, as you look at this, if part of your work is to remove barriers, you're an ambassador, you're called to go around and be a person of forgiveness. Part of the reality of whether you've received it is whether you're giving it. Because if you've really understood that pain, you will understand that you, there's no pain. When you understand the pain of what Jesus has done for you, there is no other pain that is that great. Now you have to do all the work around it, but I'm just going to encourage you and I'm going to cause you to think through hard here that, that part of your work is forgiving and part of the work is receiving. And here's the thing, you can't make anybody, here's the word reconciliation, fully reconciled with you. There is always their choice. Because the fifth thing is this, the fruit of being reconciled is peace. And we kind of go, oh yeah, I get what peace is. That means that things are good between you. That's not what he's saying. The fruit of reconciliation is peace, which means not the absence of strife, the absence of problems, the absence of things, because you will still have all those things. It's the fullness. It's the positive side. It's the fullness of all those things that God can bring into your life. It's the word shalom, which means the potential for this incredible, wonderful relationship is there. Now it's a matter of moving into forgiveness and owning up and stepping into this again and again and building the appropriate trust that develops and opens up the kind of relationship you could never have if it wasn't for this work of reconciliation. And so at one point in Romans chapter 5, therefore since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. God does it. He says, I forgive you. I want to be in relationship. I want you to have everything. And he looks for repentance. He looks for people who will go, not I'm just sorry and I want status quo. I, I've been in those places where you just say you're sorry because you really want just to be back in relationship again. Repentance is really coming to a place where you go, what I did 
and you understand it has really hurt you. And I don't ever want to do that again. And what's really a bummer about that is that you will. That's part of growth. But it's that heart, that attitude. And with that, peace can develop and grow so that he says you can have peace with God. And then he says at one point, for if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. He is making this incredible statement when you have been reconciled and you understand reconciliation, you just can't help but tell others. So I asked um, uh, uh, Ted to come and to share. Um, He had shared his story with me and he came to the church uh, a a while back and um, I said, you know, Ted, would you ever be willing to share your story? And then he said yes and, and and I said, would you share it today? And so you said you would. Um, so if you want to come and, and tell us just a little bit about it, here's what's really cool. God has used everyone of you, and you don't even know it. This community has set up the opportunity for there to be reconciliation. You had said a few things about this authenticity that you've experienced. Do you want to just comment on that? Yeah, this is, um, I, I'm going to do it without script this time. The okay. script threw me earlier. Um, <laughs> I think it's easier just to talk from the heart. Um, I'd been coming here for... Um, Pretty much the whole year of January, uh, from December 13th to, or December 2013 to um, pretty much the whole year um, into 14 and all the way through. And um, Pastor has said that, that um, each and every one of you, whether you've talked to me or not, or maybe just said something, or the small group, or the worship, has had an incredible effect on the healing process of what. Um, what's been going on in my journey. And to give you just kind of a real quick background, um, I've been married for 22 years. Um, there's a word that's kind of thrown out there that's called emotional promiscuity. Um, in other words, it's an online affair. It's basically, I mean, they'll put, you can glamour it all you want, but it's looking for somebody else um, other than your wife for guys um, who is going to give you something and you have, no, you have no intention of being there for her physically. You're just going to go back and forth on the internet. And I can just tell you that I am still repairing damage with my kids two years later because of this. And it was just a matter of a couple of months. And so um, it all fell apart in December of 2013. Um, I was kicked out of the house. Um, my wife wanted me to just take some time and go away, and I found myself here. So you, you found yourself, you were living here, you yep. came to church, you were sitting in a parking lot and kind of God met you in there and, and really met you in this place. And part of what happened, as you shared with me, was um, through the worship and through other things, you just started feeling the presence of God. You went to the counseling, you talked to Beth, and Beth said you should go to a gateway session, which is one of our prayer sessions that we encourage people to go through. Part of the forgiveness process is a huge part of that. It was there that God did something to you. Yeah, um, there's, like you said, Gateway um, is, a, is a kind of a sublet of, of uh, a parachurch, if you would, um, ministry, um, actually in Moisetta. Um, the prayer session is just this incredible, what I found there was the presence of God, um, where the counselors um, individually took my past and my present situation, walked me through it as we kind of gave it back to God. And it was just this incredible two and a half hours of just God being there and God just working through me and um, just this incredible being. And I went back um, to my wife, and um, we reconciled. I, I remember the day, and she had been praying for me for 
months and months and months, and this kind of um, just kind of God showed up. This is this is what what took place, and then we ended up um, coming back here as I was continuing to go through here, um, attending church. Um, God had me where he wanted me to be, and we got involved with Mark and Beth, and um, Kathy and I are, in, are internally grateful for that because it was through their prayer and through their direct counseling um, that helped us just re- reaffirm our relationship not only with each other but with the kids as well. So, you know, when, when you talk about that, so, so the prayer that you went to Gateway, and, and they're not counselors, but they're people who are just highly trained to pray and to work through a reconciliation, that process of prayer and forgiveness. And then you did the hard work, and that hard work we started meeting with our counselors, Mark and Beth, at that point, who were in that process, which is all about reconciliation, folks. We think it's just this quick thing. There is a moment you sat down with your wife and things were, let's reconcile. That happens in a relationship with God, and then it's all about what does it look like to grow into the fullness of that relationship, which God is blessing you guys with. It and is. I'm so it grateful is. you shared. Yep. Thank you, Ted. Thank you. Appreciate, Appreciate it. it. <laughs> because forgiveness, honestly, when you think about the cross, it's the mo- it, it truly is the greatest work that has to occur in someone's life. The forgiveness that God gives you, the forgiveness you give others. And it's just God wants us to live in the freedom of a relationship with him so he forgives us. And he wants people to know the freedom of the potential relationship with others. And so I've asked Mark, who is one of our counselors, to come and to just share with us, I think in a real visual way, what forgiveness could look like and, and what I think God might want maybe in your life in, if he's speaking to you about that. Well, first off, I want to thank all of you who have been praying for me um, as I've been going through something pretty major. And for those of you who don't know what I've been through, I'll let you know. Um, In August of this year, of last year, I was diagnosed with uh, stage 4 cancer in my esophagus and then into my lymph nodes. They gave me a 4% chance of surviving three months. And so since then, I've been through three different kinds of chemo and radiation at the Mayo Clinic. And um, I'm doing pretty well. (laughs) Uh, The radiation I went through is, most people when they do radiation appointments, they're about five minutes long. My sessions were about 25 minutes long. So I think if you turn the lights off, I glow. Um, I was just down at the Mayo a couple weeks ago and had another scan and it came back clear. And so I don't even need to go back for three more months. So first off, I want to thank God for the healing, and I thank all of you guys that have been praying for me. And actually, between the services, several people came up to me that I've never met before, said, I heard about you, and I've been praying with you, and I've been praying with my neighbors and all that stuff for you. So that's been pretty amazing to be part of. Um, Kevin asked me to come up and talk about forgiveness. Um, How do we forgive? Uh, Mike Snuffer and I just finished writing a 200-page book on forgiveness. It's... uh, Fighting freedom through forgiveness, and I'm going to try to do that in four minutes. So, <laughs> and and I, I like to use metaphors because it helps the brain. Jesus used parables, and they're a type of metaphor. So, what is forgiveness? Forgiveness is giving God the authority and responsibility for the pain, the anger, and the situation. In Romans 12:19, God says, "It is mine to avenge; I will repay." We need to trust Him with this responsibility. So, who is forgiveness for? Forgiveness is for me. When I hold on to bitterness, resentment, and anger, I carry the burden on my back. 
Jesus wants us to get rid of that weight. So what we do is we start by naming the fence. I tell Jesus what the person did to me, how it hurt me. I tell him without justification or excuses. It's important to remember that we're the prosecuting attorney, not the defense attorney. Because when we come up with excuses, all we do is we put this pain and the weight and the problems back in our backpack and strap it back on our backs. God knows whose responsibility. He knows where the problems are. He knows what the truth is. So we just have to trust him with that. So when we put the problems into a box, with it goes the weight, the responsibility, and the judgment. As I put things in there, I ask Jesus, is there anything else I need to give? And I keep asking him until there's nothing else that comes to mind. So then I cover the box. And I seal the box. And I I lift up the box to give to Jesus. And sometimes he has to come help me because it's too heavy for me to lift. Or sometimes I have like 20 boxes there. So then I give the box to Jesus and I say, I trust you. I know your perfect justice. You know the perfect punishment. I am choosing to forgive and give you full responsibility. I feel the weight go as he takes the box from me and I thank him for that. The next thing to do is my part. What is my responsibility in this situation? What do I need to be forgiven for? And I go through the same steps of putting things into the box and giving it to Jesus. So, I would love for you to stand. And in these few moments remaining, know that God took your sin and he put it on the back of Jesus Christ. And he took it all to set you free. I'd love for you to know that uh, you have the opportunity to take someone's offense, their sin, their hurt, their pain. And I'm not saying this is easy, folks. It costs. And you have the opportunity to put it in the box. One of the things I've learned through Gateway and through just ministering with people forgiveness, you can ask someone, you can say, do you need to be forgiven? And so often this happens and we do a prayer session and, and they go, well, I don't think so. And then I, we just say, you know, just open your heart and let the Holy Spirit speak to you. And it's amazing things that come up and the freedom that takes place. Because we're kind of wired in such a way that when we say something in a general sense, you know, are you lazy? And then all of a sudden someone starts teaching about something. And you go, oh, I didn't know I was lazy there. The Holy Spirit wants to set you all free. He wants to set me free. He's done it through Jesus. I'm going to ask you to bow your head with me. I just want to say with your head bowed, you may need to, you know, connect with Mark or Beth or here at the church or their counseling center because it may be that God's saying enough of the phony relationship, maybe in a marriage or a friendship or some kind of thing, or maybe there's a relationship here in the church and he's just saying enough. He wants reconciliation. Or maybe that you just need to do, like Ted said, and you know, he came and he ended up going to a gateway prayer session. You may go, you know, I don't know much about it, but if you want to know that, just again, if God's speaking to you, let him speak to your heart about what he wants you to do. His Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit is incredibly, incredibly kind and gracious. He doesn't come with judgment. He just kind of says, here's what I would like for you to do. And if he, he reveals something like that, 
Your only step is to obey. It's to trust and obey, for there's no other way. To know the kind of joy that Jesus wants you to have. So in this time of prayer, if you know that you're separated from God and you feel the fact, and when in, in that question raised that you have peace with God, you go, no, I don't. I just want you to know right now you can take that weight of your sin and you can put it in the box and you can say, Jesus, I acknowledge my sin. I give it over to you and I let you take care of it. And I, I receive, by act of my will, I receive forgiveness and you do have now peace with God because God offers that to you. And just invite the Holy Spirit in your heart. And you may need to let go of someone too. You may need to put some things in that box. Let God work in your heart. He's the one carrying that load around. He wants you free. He wants to restore that which is broken through forgiveness. Pray these things, Jesus. In your name, amen. God bless you. Thanks.